Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, let's read it in unison. Titus chapter 1 verse 9, the Word of God says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. I pray that you'd help us this morning build our faith and give us the tools that we can help build the faith of others and challenge the misconceptions of unbelievers and plant the seed of the gospel so that they can be saved and come to faith in you. We pray that you'd speak to each heart here today and that your will would be done in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So our theme verse, we've talked about it several times, but just to give you a quick reminder, the Bible says, holding fast the faithful word. The faithful word is the Bible, and of course, the Bible is faithful. We talked about this book is a supernatural book and gave you incredible reasons about how we know that's true. And this is, as he hath been taught. So uh, Titus had been taught the faithful word by a faithful preacher, and we learned that one of the duties of a preacher is to preach the word as God has given it, giving sound doctrine or healthy truth or teaching. And another job of the preacher is to recognize and stamp out false doctrine or false teaching. As we've talked about all year long, there are some people that will stand in pulpits today and hold a book like this one and will say things that are untrue. And not just say things that are untrue, they will point to the Bible and try to use the Bible as the basis for their untruths or their lies. And Christians have to be able to know the difference about what is true and what is not true. We talked just a few weeks ago about false teachers and how you can recognize false teachers and false teaching. And all of that is so important. So many voices on the radio, on the TV, on social media, on YouTube. Uh, There's a lot of untruth out there, and if you're not careful, you can stumble into the spiritual weeds and get yourself in trouble believing things that are not true. That's why every week here we open our Bible. I encourage you to look at a Bible. Look at one in front of you. Look at your neighbors. There's a Bible in the pew. Uh, If you don't know where things are, that's okay. We all started there. Turn to the table of contents. Find your place. Because I want you to see that what I'm teaching you are not the thoughts of Paul Chapman or the philosophies of our church. These are the plain teachings from the Word of God. And that's what's going to help you is the plain, sound teaching from the Word of God. So here we have this uh, man, Titus, uh, had been taught the faithful word by a faithful preacher. And that preacher saying, look, Titus, you've got to hold on to the faithful word now and you need to teach it to others like I taught it to you. To what purpose? He goes on to say that ye may be able by sound doctrine or healthy teaching both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. Now, gainsayers is an old English word, but it simply means opposers, those who oppose the Bible, those who oppose God, those who oppose Jesus Christ. So we, part of our function, is to learn the Bible well enough So we can exhort, that means to strongly encourage and convince, that means to convict or to help change their mind, of those that are opposed to the Bible, to God, and to Christ. 
so we all have a lot of work to do in that area. It's a constant thing of growth, a constant plan of growth God wants us on. That's why you ought to be in church uh, every Sunday. That's why if you, uh, you ought to plan to be in more than one service a week. If you, if, uh, you know, I don't eat just once a week physically. If I did, these clothes wouldn't fit. Amen. Uh, but spiritually, the more meals we eat spiritually, the faster we're going to grow, the stronger we're going to become. That's one reason why we put things online. <clears throat> there are people watching right now that, that don't even live in our state, uh, and people will watch this uh, sermon later because we're trying to get the truth out there for those that may not have it available to them uh, in their area. Uh, and so we must grow, but part of our goal is to be able to exhort and convince the gainsayers. Now, <clears throat> it's difficult sometimes to talk to those who say, I don't believe in your God and I don't believe what you believe, uh, and all of that. It can be very intimidating. Oftentimes, they, they have wealth or means. Often, they have a lot of education. Uh, often, they seem to be so confident in what they believe. Uh, and, you know, my personality, <clears throat> naturally, is not one of confrontation. Now, I am <clears throat> willing and dare I say, capable of fighting for what I believe and for my family and, and anything that's right if I have to. But that's not my natural nature. You know, some people, they love the fight. They'll, they'll fight at the drop of the hat and they'll bring the hat and throw it at you. I mean, it's, they, they love to debate. They love to strive. That's not my natural nature. But through the boldness of the Holy Spirit, God can give us all the ability to confront people that are oppositional to what we believe and to what the Bible says. Often these uh, people in opposition fall into three categories. The first is a skeptic. A skeptic is one who doubts. They doubt the claims of the Bible. Uh, they doubt the existence of God. Uh, they doubt who Jesus is. They doubt salvation. They doubt sometimes if there's anything spiritual at all. So these are doubters or skeptics. The second category are those that call themselves agnostic. A spiritual agnostic is one who claims it's impossible to know the truth about the existence of God. It's impossible to know. So they're trying to walk the tightrope of, of, well, maybe yes, maybe no, but no one can really know. They attempt to take a neutral position but they don't realize that they're still rejecting God and rejecting Christ. As far as the Bible goes, anything less than a positive belief in God and in Jesus Christ means you are lost and you are in your sin and you need to be saved, rescued from your sin and granted eternal forgiveness. That doesn't come through good works or through joining a specific religion. It comes through faith in the person believing Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the work, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have the skeptics, the doubters. We have the agnostics. They'll say, I don't know if there is a God, and I don't think you can know. And then we have the atheist. The atheist is one who denies the existence of God. They say affirmatively there is no God. I've got to be honest with you. If you look at the history of the Western world, I'm talking for the last... Uh, 2,000 years, uh, and even the last uh, several hundred years, atheism was very rare. 
Very rare. Matter of fact, most of you probably don't know that in early America, if you didn't believe in God, you were not allowed to be a witness at a court trial. Because if you were so foolish not to believe in God, they wouldn't believe anything else you had to say. They're like, wow, I didn't know that. Well, there's a lot of history that the world probably doesn't know today. I remember the first time in presidential politics when the question was asked, this guy is a Christian, should a Christian even be the president of the United States? And that was within my lifetime. You've got to understand, for much of American history, if you didn't believe in God or affirmatively accept some form of Christianity, you would have never been considered for, to be the president. Go back and read the presidential prayers of all the presidents. It's shocking. Matter of fact, America, read the Declaration of Independence, read the Constitution, read the Constitution of all 50 states that every one of them acknowledge God as a creator. There's a lot of history that the world just doesn't know today, and they're basing, they're, they're basing their entire life and life plan, and they're wagering the destiny of their eternal soul on so little information and an awful lot of misconceptions that need to be addressed. So atheists are ones that say there is no God and they'll fight for it. And this type of, of unbelief is rising in America as they get more and more bold uh, and taking over a lot of segments of American life. By the way, I say it often from this pulpit, a lot of the struggle America is in today is because America is turning away from the God of heaven. And if you don't believe that, I'd love to chat with you about it. I'd love to sit down and talk about facts and data and history and all of these things. But folks, you feel it. Even the unbelievers out there feel it. There's something different going on in our world today. They may not understand it, but they sense it. And it's up to us to point out there is a God. He gave us a book. He made a path for you to come back to Him through forgiveness and eternal salvation in faith in Jesus Christ and let the Holy Spirit work on their hearts so that people can be saved and born again. So today I want to give you five answers for skeptics and atheists. I've got a lot here that we could go through. I'm just going to pick out five of them that we can look at. And I'm going to give you some Bible verses. I'm going to give you some perspective. How do we address, how do we talk about uh, these spiritual things to people who say things like, I don't need God, uh, I don't want God, I don't believe in God, I don't care what God says. These are all things we've talked about earlier in the year in other types of sermons. The Bible's full of contradictions. We talked about that in a sermon to show that uh, I even took some, some information from a popular atheist website and answered all their questions with the Bible and showed why they're not even asking the right questions, let alone coming to the right answer. Uh, and so... Now, all of these things. But let me give you some thoughts here today from some, some doubters, some agnostics, some atheists that you might come to. Uh, number one, 
Someone might say, I've tried to believe, but I can't. I've tried to believe, but I can't. If you talk to people very long about their soul, you might have someone that you speak to, and they'll give this statement. And often to them, I'll say something like, I understand that sentiment. When you've been told that faith is blind and foolish your whole life, it makes it hard to believe. After all, who wants to be blind and foolish? You've got to understand these people have been told and had hammered into them that if you believe in God, you're stupid. If you believe in God, you're dumb. There's so much science. There's so much evidence. Now, they don't know the evidence. They're believing what someone's telling them. But they've been taught their whole lives that, of course, there's no God. Faith is blind and foolish. And so it's our job to remind them that believing in God is neither foolish nor difficult. And one way we do that is to remind them that every human is a creature of faith. Now, this takes a few minutes to break through because often someone who rejects the existence of God is very analytical. They are very scientific. They believe in statistics. They believe in the numbers. They believe in the data. Uh, but all of that is, is a front for the condition of their heart. And what we need to show them is they live by faith every day because God made us creatures of faith. For example, whatever statistics you're believing, you probably haven't seen the raw data. You probably didn't delve into the the parameters of the study and who conducted the study and and all the details of, of the specs that they used to come up with this and then look at the raw data. No, you believed someone who pointed you to data that you've never seen and you chose to believe it. That's called faith. One of the most astonishing ways that we exercise faith every day, and we're so used to it, we don't even think about it. What about driving down the road? Every day you drive down the road in a six to 10,000 pound vehicle going around here eight miles an hour, you know, on the, the roads, but uh, going between 25 and 65 miles an hour while other six to sometimes 80,000 pound vehicles are hurling at you at the same speed, only a few feet apart. Who thinks that's a good idea? And you know what we're trusting? We're trusting a yellow line down the middle of the road. That 16th of an inch of yellow paint is going to keep that 80,000 pound cement truck on their side of the road. And we're just driving along. Why? Faith. What about eating at a restaurant? You go into a restaurant and you sit down and eat the food. Did you look at the cleanliness of the kitchen? No. Did you go back in the fridge and see if there was, everything was dated and rotated and all of these things? No. Did you watch and see if the chef washed his hands before he touched all your stuff? No. But we sit down, we eat a plate of food made by people we've never met with ingredients we have no idea about why. Because we trust the health department. 
See, every day we make countless decisions based on faith. And if you can get a skeptic to recognize, huh, I've never thought about that. Every time your friend tells you something and you just believe it, uh, show me the receipts. Uh, Do you have GPS data that you actually went there and when you went there and how you got there? No, they'll just say it and you're like, okay, that's nice. That's called faith. So if you can get a skeptic to realize they're operating by faith, it's it's the, the base operating system of humanity, then that changes the conversation. Now we can deal with the fact that you not only can believe, you are believing. You just need to change who you're trusting. And that's where we tell them that Christ revealed that anyone willing to do the will of God, God will reveal to them the truth. Look at John chapter 7. We'll use our Bibles now. John chapter 7, the Gospel of John. And if you have someone that's purely scientific and they're like, I only believe the math, uh, there are all kinds of good reasons why math points you to a creator. We won't have time to take time to look at that. That's a whole other message. Math itself has been called the language of God. If you think math is going to give you a reason to not believe in God, that shows how little you know about math. And the same is true about science. If you think science is going to give you a reason to not believe in God, then you're ignorant of the last 50 years of scientific discoveries that point to the existence of God, not away from Him. Look at John chapter 7 and verse 16. And Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine or teaching is not mine, but His that sent me. It's from God's. So Jesus, as the Son of God, came to earth as the representative of the Godhead, and He said, I'm teaching you what the Almighty wants you to know. And then look at verse uh, verse 17. If any man will do his will, the will of God, he, the man doing the will of God, shall know of the doctrine or the teaching whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Here's what, what Christ said. If you do the will of God, if you take steps in the will of God, that's when God reveals this is true. See, you can stay on the other side of a hill and argue all day about what's on the other side of the hill, but if you simply take a few steps to the top of the hill where you can see over the rise, now there's no argument. And God says, if you will take some steps in my teaching... I will show you what's true. And that's beautiful. That's why often when someone doesn't believe in God and and the conversation shuts down, I'll I'll, I'll often ask them to say, would you, before you go to bed tonight, would you pray and say, God, if you're there, would you show me? And sometimes they're like, oh, spooky. You know, I I don't know if I can commit to that. Uh, So you're telling me you're not willing to say a sentence to someone who's not there? 
The reason why it's spooky is because they know innately that what if that prayer gets answered? There's some, some fear there. But oftentimes if I talk to them for a minute, they'll say, I'll do that. I'll say, how about this? How about every night this week when you lay your head on your pillow, you say, God, if you're there, would you reveal yourself to me? What am I doing? I'm getting them to take a step in the doctrine of God. They begin to pray to someone they're not even sure is there. That can be powerful, folks. And God can reveal. For example, someone may come to church who doesn't believe in God. They don't know what to believe. Maybe they'll come to a gospel preaching church. And when they're in church, the very fact that they were willing to go to a, a gospel preaching church, something in them begins to click and... And say, wow, maybe there is something to this. Because God will begin to reveal himself to you. So we can just teach them that it's not only difficult to believe, you're already believing, you just need to believe the right person. And there's a lot we could say about that. If you want to be saved, you can be saved. That's the point. Jesus leaves the decision up to you. Revelation twenty two seventeen, the last invitation in the Bible. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And listen to this. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Isn't that a blessing? If you want to be saved, you can be saved. So we're talking about answers to atheists. What if they say, I've tried to believe, but I can't. We talked about that. What if they say next that Jesus is only one of many great men of history? And they'll often say this where they just put Jesus in a category. Yeah, Jesus was a great man, but he's just one of a lot of other great men. And there's really nothing special about him. And I'll often say to them something like, I'm glad that we agree that Jesus was a great man. They were already in agreement. He was a great man. That's a, by the way, that's an undeniable fact of history. 2,000 years later, 2 billion people on the planet say, that's the Savior. That's pretty fantastic. And his teachings are a part of Western culture in a deep and abiding way. But then we must go further. Jesus Christ is different from all other men of history. How many great men of history calmed the sea? How many great men of history walked on water? How many raised others from the dead, healed sickness, forgave sin? How many great great men of history rose again from the dead? These Bible facts make Jesus more than great. They make Him the Son of God who came to save us from our sins. And then they might say, well, I don't believe He did those things. I was like, wait a minute. He said Jesus was a great man. And Jesus claimed to do all these things. So he can't be a great man and a liar. He can't be a great man and a deceiver. Either Jesus is the virgin-born Son of God and the Savior of the world, or I don't even like these words coming out of my mouth, he is the greatest con man in history. You can't have both. 
And what this does is, again, it gets them off the fence. A lot of people want to sit on the fence. Hey, he's a good man, but I just don't believe in him. That's okay for you. It's not okay for me. No, no, no. Jesus is a person you have to make a decision about. At one point, Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. He didn't mean by that physical battle and physical warring in the traditional sense. He meant that you're going to have to take a side and fight for what you believe uh, spiritually about Christ. He makes you make a decision. Jesus Christ sometimes splits parents and children. The parents believe the children don't. The children believe the parents don't. He'll split brothers and sisters. One sibling believes, the other doesn't. He'll split husbands and wives. One believes, the other doesn't. Jesus Christ is decisive. You have to make a decision. You can't sit on the fence about Jesus. And now once they're in, well, I just said he was a good man, but I also said I don't believe in him. So now they have to make a decision about Christ and they have to pick a side. Look at John chapter 10, the gospel of John chapter 10. And then we give them Bible verses to help them understand what the Bible says about God. You've got to understand most people believe things spiritually and they've never seen what the Bible says. So we have to give them the scripture so that the Holy Spirit has something to work with when he's working on them. Look at John chapter 10 and verse 30. I and my father are what? One. Verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of these works do you stone me? Verse 33, the Jews answered him saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou being a man makest thyself God. See, there was no doubt about what Jesus was saying when he walked the earth. He did not claim to be a good man. He did not just claim to be a spiritual prophet. He didn't just claim to be a physical healer. He claimed to be the God-man sent to save the world from its sins. The Bible declares that Jesus Christ is God. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Notice that capital W. It's speaking about Jesus Christ. The Greek word is a logos. He is the ultimate communication from God. Jesus Christ is the ultimate communication that God sent to man. And if you don't accept Jesus, you're not accepting the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was who? God. The same was in the beginning with God. He's eternal. All things were made by Him, the Word, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He's the Creator. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. He's the light giver. The list goes on and on, folks. Jesus Christ is different. Look at John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So imagine these eyewitnesses that walked with Jesus and they said, We're looking at God. God is walking amongst us. That's why at the prophecy of His birth, The angel told 
Mary, that his name would be Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. That wasn't going to be his given name. His given name was going to be Jesus. But his title was going to be God with us. Jesus Christ, the living Son of God, walking with man, living as a man, so he could die as a sinless man for the sins of the world. That's who Jesus is. So Jesus isn't only one of the great men in history. He claimed to be the God-man. So I might say to someone, you're right, Jesus was a great man. But let me ask you a question. If Jesus was great, would he lie? Of course not. If Jesus was great, would he deceive the world? Of course not. But if he is great, then he must be telling the truth. And he was great, right? Jesus Christ cannot merely be a great man of history. He must be the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. Then I'll ask something like, can I show you from the Bible how to put your faith in Christ and reserve your place in heaven? So you see what sinking sand. People will base their entire life. They will walk through life never being challenged on the fact, well, Jesus was a great man. I just don't believe in him like that. They need to be challenged so they can see this. What about answers for atheists? What about number three? I don't have enough faith to be saved. So someone said in the beginning, uh, I've tried to believe, but I can't. And so then someone might say, well, I see that I've got faith in some things, but I don't have enough faith to be saved. And the beautiful thing about this point is that the Bible gives no standard of the amount or intensity of faith required to save the soul. There's no standard given. The Bible simply says, believe in your what? Your heart. Look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. You can go through all the wonderful verses that talk about believing in Christ. None of them give a standard of amount or intensity The question is not how much you believe in Jesus to be saved. It's whether or not you believe in Jesus to be saved. It's like a light switch. There's only off and on. It's not a dimmer switch. Well, I kind of believe. I believe a little bit more. I believe a little bit more. This is like a light switch. You either believe or you don't. And there has to be a time in your life when you flip that switch and say, I used to not believe in Jesus as my Savior But now I'm believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to save my soul. And you flip on the light and salvation happens. It's a wonderful truth. Look at Romans chapter 10 and verse uh, 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that means you believe that Jesus is the Lord. You believe he is who he claimed to be. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved or rescued from hell For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto or pointing to salvation. The Bible says you just have to believe in your heart. Now, we don't have time today to delve into what it means to believe in your heart. But let me give you this distinction. A lot of people believe the facts about Jesus in their head. They say, I believe those historical facts. But getting saved, getting your sins forgiven is not saying, I believe the historical facts about Christ It's saying, I believe the historical facts about Christ, and I am trusting Him as my Savior. Putting it in your heart is personalizing it. He's not the Savior. He's not your Savior. He's going to forgive me like He promised. 
I am putting my eternal destiny in the hands of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's the moment. But you don't have to wonder, did I believe him enough? Did I trust him enough? Did I mean it enough? There is no standard like that in the Bible. The Bible says, with the heart man believeth unto salvation, and with the mouth confession is made, excuse me, believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made pointing to salvation. The Bible says, if you believe it enough to say it, then that's good enough for now. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And over time, you would see me, you would see the new creature. But in that moment, the evidence in my faith is what's coming out of my mouth. Isn't that good? Everybody has enough faith to be saved. John chapter 4 verse 14 likens getting saved to drinking a glass of water. Do you have enough faith to drink a glass of water? Anybody can do that, can't they? John chapter 10 verse 9 likens salvation to walking through a door. Do you have enough faith to walk through a door? How much faith does it take to walk through a door? I don't know. You just walk through it. Yes, that's salvation. Let me give you these final. What if someone says, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God? I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God. I'll usually say, now, I want to understand, are you an atheist or an agnostic? And I want them to self-classify. Because we approach that in two different ways. If someone's an agnostic, they say, well, I'm not sure if there's a God. I don't think you know if there's a God. And then we deal with them purely from a skeptical point of view and show them scriptures. By the way, one of Christ's apostles started out as a skeptic. You know who he was? Doubting Thomas. He said, I'm not going to see it until I believe it. And then Jesus showed up. He said, my Lord, my God, forgive me. By the way, Thomas went to India and died as a martyr for his faith. It's possible to start out as a skeptic and become a devoted, devoted servant of Christ. That's why we don't give up on skeptics. Jesus didn't give up on Thomas. But if he says, I'm an atheist, then I always say, I enjoy talking to atheists. And they kind of look at me like, oh, because usually if they tell a Christian I'm an atheist, the Christian goes, oh, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's like, what? A, I, don't, I don't know what to do. It's like, what, a, what do I do now? But when you say, oh, I love talking to atheists, they kind of look at you like, oh, really? Oh, yeah, I love it. And then I'll say something like, it takes a lot of confidence to be an atheist. And they'll kind of look at me and, like, what do they say? No, I don't have confidence. It's like, I guess so. They'll say, can I ask you a question? Yeah. I'll say, you look like a smart and logical person. They're usually like, of course I am. And I'll ask him this question. Out of all the information available in the world today, what percentage do you think you personally know at this moment? And I'll say, 50%? Oh, not 50. 25? Not 25. 10? Probably not 10. So I don't know, and usually they'll say, I don't know, 1%. All the knowledge available to mankind today? And even if they're super proud and they say, oh, 10%. I say, can I ask you another question? Of all the information available in the universe, 
What percentage do you personally know at this moment? And then they're like, I, hardly nothing. It's like, I, I don't even know how to quantify that. Hardly nothing. So I'll say, I'll say something like this. With all the information available in the universe that we don't know, it takes amazing confidence for you to declare the one thing you know for sure is that there is no God. That's the thing you know for sure. And then I'll say something like, you know another word for confidence? is faith. And if they're still talking to me, at this point, I'll say it takes less faith to believe in the God of the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ than it does to be an atheist. At least our faith is based upon eyewitnesses who died for their faith. Our faith is based upon thousands of years of changed lives. Our faith is based upon a supernatural book that the world can't seem to get rid of. In fact, there's so much data on which we can base our faith. The Bible literally says it's foolish to say there is no God. In Psalm 53 verse 1, the fool has said in his heart there is no God. And I'll look at him and say, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And they take that usually as a slap because they're saying faith is stupid. And I don't want to live by faith. I want to live by logic. But logic proves the what at best an honest person can be an atheist. At best. Excuse me, an agnostic. At best, an honest person can be an agnostic saying, I'm not sure if there's no God. But every atheist is intellectually dishonest. And they're taking a position of faith because they can't prove God doesn't exist. And a matter of fact, they have to say that in the face of all kinds of proof that he does. And then I'll say something like, think of it this way. If there is no God, as you say, and I'm wrong, I lose nothing. I have a wonderful Christian wife. I have a wonderful church I go to. I pray every day and get peace. I get to read God's Bible and get wisdom. I have a wonderful family. I've got a good life. I lose nothing. But if there is a God, as the Bible says, you lose everything. And your whole life didn't matter. And you go into eternity in your sins into everlasting torment. And then I'll usually say something like, making a decision about God without reading his book is like being an unjust judge who hears one side of the story and makes a decision. Can I just show you a verse or two to give you something to think about? And sometimes they'll be like, I'll look at a verse. We're just trying to to crack that door open. We're just trying to break the foundation upon which they're basing their their lives. Let me give you one last one, and, and I won't develop it, but this is so important. What about if someone says, I don't believe in God, I believe in evolution? And this is the standard answer today. People will often say, I don't believe in God, I believe in evolution. Uh, you talk to a, a lot of college students. I don't believe in God, I believe in evolution. And it's interesting because 
evolution is the reason they don't believe in God. You know, you talk to someone with a, a science degree or a higher degrees, and it's like, I don't believe in God, I believe in evolution. They know that evolution is the basis upon which they're saying God doesn't exist. But most of them have very little understanding of the theory of evolution itself. And what we want to do is just kind of show them they haven't really thought through how all this works. So again, if someone says, I don't believe in God, I believe in evolution, I'll say something like, I love talking about evolution. Evolution's a big word that describes several schools of thought. To what kind of evolution do you ascribe? And usually they look at you like, what? What kind of, you know, evolution. Well, evolutionists don't agree on what evolution is. There's a lot of disagreement about the form and function evolution supposedly took. But already we're asking them a question that's like, what do you mean? Well, and then we might say, well, do you believe in Darwinian or neo-Darwinian evolution? And, uh, yeah, I, I believe in evolution. And then I'll often say something like, if they're still willing to talk, I'll say there's six kinds of evolution necessary for the success of the theory. Which ones do you believe in? Like six? Six? I thought there was one. What's six? But here's a thought, and I'll just give these to you briefly, and you can meditate on this. In order for everything to have come from nothing, that means there had to be cosmic evolution. This is the origin of time, space, and matter. How did everything that is get here? That's cosmic evolution, and how did it evolve into what it is today? The second is chemical evolution. Most evolutionists believe that the universe started with just a handful of specific elements. Where did all the other elements come from? Helium became boron? Lead became sulfur? Very few people believe in chemical evolution, but they don't even know that's part of what's necessary for the evolutionary theory to exist. What about stellar evolution? This discusses the origin of the stars and the planets. How'd they get there? How long have they been there? How did they evolve? Number four is organic evolution. This discusses the origin of life from non-life. By the way, this idea that life came from nothing is, is so absurd they had to make up a word called non-life. How did life come from the opposite of life spontaneously? And then there's macroevolution. This discusses the origin of the kinds of animals and plants. The, the amoeba became the this, and the this became the toad, and the toad became this. And then I had the divergent evolution, the convergent evolution, the parallel evolution. You don't need to know all those words. But all you need to know is that the idea that everything came from one thing that's macroevolution. And lastly, microevolution. This is the variation within the kinds. This is you have a dog and there's a hundred different kinds of dogs. Well, they'll point to that and say, see, evolution is true because you got a hundred different kinds of dogs. Well, the Bible talks about that. We believe in that. But we don't believe everything came from nothing. We don't believe life came from the opposite of life. And here's the thing about science. Science is good about looking at the world and observing it. Science cannot look back to the beginnings any declaration made about the beginnings of everything, the origins of anything, is a statement of faith based upon presuppositions. Now, every once in a while, you might talk to someone who's really thought this through, 
99% of the atheists you ever talk to who say, I believe in evolution, have never spent five minutes talking about it like we just did here. And they're basing their entire worldview on it. They're, they're wagering their eternal destiny on a concept they don't understand. And that's where we come and say, the Bible tells us, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth, Ecclesiastes 12.1. God is the creator. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And that same God loves you enough. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, pay for your sins. He rose again from the dead, defeating death and hell once and for all. And if you, dear friend, if you will put your simple faith and trust in Jesus today, he'll forgive all your sin and reserve a home in heaven for you. Can I show you what the Bible says? If you can get to the place where you can show someone what the Bible says, even if they don't believe in that moment, we're planting seeds for the future. Your faith, dear friend, your Christian faith is not blind. It's not foolish. Matter of fact, there have been so many scientific discoveries in the last 50 years that science is now affirmatively pointing us to God, not away from Him. And most people alive on the planet today have never heard or understood these findings that when you hear them and you see them, you just sit back and go, wow, never thought about that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth that we talked about today. I pray that you'd help us, give us the, the mind and the heart where we want to help people, we want to be a blessing. And Lord, that you would give us insight, give us confidence to talk to people, Help us study the Word so we can have some confidence to talk to skeptics and, and unbelievers and agnostics and atheists. And Lord, that you would help us to spread the gospel, the Bible truth that speaks to the depth of the heart. So that we can try to save some before they go out into eternity without you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. At the end of each one.